We're going to open up to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Um, for some of you, if you're newer to the church, maybe you can't even say the book of Ecclesiastes, let alone find it in the Bible. That's all right. We'll give you a little time. We decided to go through the wisdom literature last year, and so we went through some uh, Proverbs and Psalms, and now we're in Ecclesiastes. What a book it's been. Uh, there's no other book quite like it in the Scripture, a book that is honest about what life is like on earth, and Solomon is very honest about how he is kind of coming up shorthanded when it comes to where he's finding meaning, where he's finding purpose, significance, lasting satisfaction. He keeps walking around the earth and he keeps seeing problem after problem. He's the richest, wisest man on the planet and he's like, I got nothing. So this book is such an honest assessment of why we can't find on earth any lasting source of meaning and security and happiness and hope. Therefore, we have to look to heaven. Solomon um, obviously was a king and today the topic is how we can be wise with authority and there are plenty of proverbs and verses in Ecclesiastes that deal with authority. When it comes to authority we will often find ourselves relating to imperfect authority figures and by the way there's no such thing as a perfect authority figure on earth. So whenever you and your heart are figuring out how to relate to an authority figure it's a given that they are imperfect waiting around for that person to show that they are worthy or to display that they are perfect doesn't get you out of the biblical mandate to learn how to be wise with authority. God expects us to know how to conduct ourselves in a wise and godly manner with those who have authority. That's true in the world, at your workplace, in your church, and in your home. Now, as we're learning today, specifically from Solomon, about how to conduct yourselves in the presence of a king we have to see that culturally there's a giant gap between what we're learning directly from the Bible and what we're going to apply in our lives today. Because we don't have a king, we don't want a king. America got off to a pretty shaky start with a king, am I right? King George III, here's a picture of him. King George III, now imagine if uh, that guy ran for office in the upcoming election. And imagine if he pitched to us a monarchy. Hey, I'm going to take all the control. I'm going to have unilateral authority to rule you. You don't do what I say. I'm just going to off with your head. And you will do what I say when I say. You think he'd have a shot at, uh, at making it? I mean, like, and, and imagine if that's what he was wearing. That's how America got going. And it didn't end well. Like I said, here's a picture of uh, the, the patriots tearing down his statue. And what we did with the statue of King George during the Revolution is we melted it down, made musket balls out of it, and fired it back at the Redcoats. That's how we feel about a king, right? Here's the next picture. Uh, so when it comes to uh, monarchy, we really have no context for that. So as Solomon's going to teach us today how to conduct ourselves in the presence of a king, we don't understand that. We will never have to live that out. Here's what I will say, though. We all understand authority. We all understand that. And we all understand the battle of, under, of, of knowing in the presence of an authority figure how to conduct ourselves wisely and in an upright manner. And it's a battle in every heart because we want to wear that. We don't want anyone over us. And when they are especially doing or saying or expecting things of us that are going to be hard or unpleasant, Everything within us is like, I want the throne. Get, you're not over me. Who do you think you are? So the, the uh, battle to know how to be wise with authority is universal. And so we'll have plenty to talk about today. 
hey, how should you act toward those with authority in your life, especially when you might have a different opinion on how things should be running or you're negatively impacted by their decisions? That's the sermon today. Let's pray. Jesus, we ask that you would bless our time in your word. We all are under authority in a variety of ways, and we all struggle to know how to wisely, graciously, how to, in an upright manner, relate to authority. Um, Lord, and many have authority. Many have people who answer to them. Many have people who, um, who, who look up to them. And, and so, in addition, help us to learn how we can uh, use authority in a wise manner. We lift this up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, check out chapter 8, verse 1. It says this, Who is like the wise? Who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. The wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. The first point comes from these verses, and you can jot this down. Number one, honor and obey the governing authorities. Honor and obey the governing authorities. Uh, <clears throat> we're not exactly sure what the scenario is, and every verse can be interpreted like three or four different ways. But here are a few of the scholars' um, possibilities for what the scenario could be. There could be a subject coming into the king's presence, and he's about to do some foolish stuff. And Solomon is warning him, don't be a fool, do these things, or it'll end very poorly because you're a subject of the king. This person could also be a servant of the king who has some formal responsibility and he's about to get an assignment or have an interaction that's going to cause him to feel anxious or confused or maybe even upset. Uh, so the servant is being instructed on how to go and execute the king's command. Um, there's lesser scholars who believe this one, but it's also the possibility that there's an advisor who's in the king's presence and the advice here is how to, the king's about to do something that might be controversial or, or upsetting and, and the, this advisor in the presence of the king is trying to steer him wisely. That's less likely, it doesn't seem to flow, but that's how scholars kind of see this scenario playing out. We don't exactly need to know the specific scenario. In fact, sometimes when the scripture is ambiguous and you're not quite exactly clear what the original um, problem or issue was, it gives you more freedom to apply it to a variety of different places in, in our lives. Uh, but generally speaking, it's clear that we are to honor and obey the governing authorities. When it comes to you interacting with authority figures in your life, you're going to feel at times like, you know, I have a much better plan. <laughs> you know, why am I following your plan? Or if I do what you just told me to do, people are going to be upset with me. You know, how am I supposed to do that? Or you're in the presence of an authority figure and things aren't going well and you don't know how to feel or talk and you're trying to find the right words. That's going to happen in a variety of different places. Uh, that's going to happen at your job. That's going to happen at the dinner table with your kids uh, or with your parents. That's going to happen at school with your teachers or at the school board meeting with the leaders. That's going to happen time and time again. So we have to ask ourselves, how do we honor and obey governing authorities? 
Important to realize that this text does not seem to be indicating a scenario where a servant is expected to do something sinful or criminal. That's a totally different sermon. So if you have issues with an authority figure that involves abuse or that involves some sort of criminal stuff, this is not meant to say, just go do what you're told, right? It'd be a different sermon for how do we react to authority figures when they're commanding us to do what is wrong. Um, So jot this down. The first thing we see is be wise and pleasant. Be wise and pleasant. Who is like the wise? Wisdom is huge in Ecclesiastes, and there is a great benefit to choosing to be wise. It's not a given. When you're in the presence of an authority figure, you have the choice. You can be wise or you can be foolish. Uh, Every parent of a two-year-old will know this. Your child has a choice. Will they be wise when you tell them what to do, or will they be foolish? Will they get dressed, or will they throw their clothes on the ground? Will they eat, or will they starve? You see that, uh, how will you respond? Will you be wise? Will you be pleasant? And the, it starts here by saying, who is like the wise? Who knows the interpretation of a thing? The wise obviously understand how to figure things out, give good counsel, and understand how to conduct themselves. A man's wisdom makes his face shine. The hardness of his face is changed. This could mean that, obviously, as it's about to talk about the king's presence, you're not going into the king's presence like a fool with a silly look on your face. You know, you're not going into the king's presence like this. Hi, I'm here again to serve you. (laughs) You're watching even your demeanor as you go into the king's presence. You're not, you're going in wisely, brightly, cheerfully, because this is the king. Before you even enter, you're watching how you're coming across. And boy, does that apply to when you see your boss, when, when you see your teacher. We're like, good morning. You're off to a bad start, <laughs> right? So that's likely the uh, most plain interpretation of the text. Number uh, Verse 2, I say, keep the king's command. Very straightforward there. Keep the king's command. The king's going to tell you something, something to do with something specific here. And you're going to keep it. You're going to do it. You're going to guard it. You're going to execute it. Be wise and pleasant because of God's oath to him. Now, this verse can be actually interpreted a few ways. Uh, Generally, it just says, keep the king's command um, like a divine oath. Now, that could be the servant's oath to the king. That could be the king's oath to God. That could be God's oath to the king. We don't know. Uh, So some translations say, oh, well, you made an oath to the king or God made an oath to the king. Um, you know, we don't exactly know. It can read in several ways. Um, and it could also say keep it because of, causal, because of God's oath, or it could mean comparative, like an oath to God. So keep your, keep the king's command as you would something that you would do for God. Your relationship to the king should mirror your relationship to God, to being told to do something or committed to do something by God. Then it says, be not hasty to go from his presence This could also be interpreted while you're in his presence. Don't be hasty. Um, So don't be worked up. Don't be anxious. Don't don't freak out while you're there. Or don't freak out and foolishly decide to depart in a manner like that. There's a few other scholars that could read this to mean um, go quickly. Either way, these are expressions of being wise in the king's presence. Whether you're there and you're like, okay, he just told me to do something and I'm not sure about it. You're not going to freak out and be like, oh, here we go again, you know. Or you're not going to storm off, you know, and insult him by turning your back on him. Uh, Whichever the interpretation, the principle is the same. Watch how you're behaving in the presence of the king. Don't take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. 
This could again mean that you're not in his presence standing up for something wrong or foolish. I've got a better idea. could also mean as you leave, don't go against him and try and form the revolt, right? You'll never believe what he just told me to do. Let's get together and overthrow him. Uh, For the word of the king is supreme. In other words, he has the authority to tell you what to do. And who may say to him, what are you doing? Whatever, whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. Be wise and pleasant. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavily on him. Hey, be wise and pleasant. When you are around an authority figure, when you're talking about authority figures, when you are interacting with them, be wise and be pleasant, right? And boy, is this seemingly impossible. Am I right? You know, I mean, like, just, just bring up the gas prices and the current administration with anyone in your life and see if they're pleasant about it, you know? I mean, like, we generally struggle to be pleasant about authority figures. Um, and, and wise, you know, it means we're not supposed to be foolish and contentious. We're not supposed to be careless, disrespectful, and difficult. We're supposed to be, even with the look on our face, wise and pleasant. We're not hasty or anxious or out of control on the spot, not huffing and puffing and leaving. We're not doing that. We're not doing that. Now, I know that you're like, I don't have a king, so thankfully this doesn't apply to me, right? Well, no, it does apply to all the authority figures in our lives, even though we don't have a king. Even though we don't have a king, we're really interested with those who do, am I right? Like, uh, Meghan and Harry, the prince and princess, they're giving all sorts of drama to the royal family. And Americans love it. We watch it. You know, a lot of So here's the interview with Oprah, where Oprah asked them about how terrible it was in the palace. And they shared about... And, and this is like, not what a prince is supposed to do, right? He's like throwing shade on the royal family and totally like revealing how uh, crooked and, and he, you know... And so many people would be like, what is going on? But we really, we tune in because royal drama is really entertaining, am I right? So being wise and being pleasant in the presence of royalty is kind of a joke to us and it's entertainment. It was life or death to the original audience. It was life or death. And for many of us today, there are huge consequences to how we interact with the authority figures around us. And if we're not wise and we're not pleasant, we could do great damage to our lives and to our testimony. Now in Romans 13:1, it says this, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Let's just get this squared away. Uh, In your heart, there's going to be ways that you reason your way out of having to be under a person's authority. Well, that's not my administration. I didn't vote for him. And who told that? You know, you're going to try and just delete that truth entirely. Um, right? That's true with parents. That's true with teachers. If you find a way to say this person is not worthy of my authority, you're going to then try and do something unbiblical and say, therefore, they don't have it. Uh, We can't do that. We have to acknowledge the reality that my boss has authority over me. I can't just conclude that because they haven't earned my respect, they just, they're not going to, you know, you're just disagreeing deep in your heart with the reality that this person does in fact have authority over you. Uh, teenagers are going to rise up and rebel against their parents, right? Doesn't matter. Their parents still have divine authority to parent them and to tell them what to do. Um, Again, stopping short of tough situations like abuse or criminal activity, we're dealing with just the day in and the day out of difficulty here. And so I wonder if in your heart it's been tough to actually accept what the Bible says, which is this person does have legitimate authority over you. They will never 
in your minds maybe deserve it or earn it, but that's not the deal. They don't have to deserve it. They don't have to earn it. They still have it. They're going to be imperfect. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to do things that you would disagree with. That doesn't give you the right to say, therefore, I'm not under their authority. Um, so we have to be careful. We have to be wise and we have to be pleasant. And how are you doing at being wise and pleasant toward those who manage you or parent you or teach you or coach you? How are you doing or pull you over? Or send you a red light ticket. We got one of those this week. And they've got a little line on there. You could contest it. And I'm like, ooh, I just want to go and contest it. How are you doing at being pleasant toward those who manage? When it comes to schools as parents, let's face it, we have several challenging, confusing interactions with teachers or principals or superintendents, especially during the COVID era. And we've had to decide how are we going to be wise and pleasant toward authority in the schools it's tough when you have discipline issues that impact your children, when you have safety issues that you might not agree with, policies are changing day and night. How have you been at being wise and pleasant? Sure, we can talk about ethical and firm and the other imperatives, right? Because these people are not kings. They can't just do what they want. The parallel breaks down a little bit. But have you been wise? Have you been pleasant? I used to be a teacher, and my first year as a teacher, I learned a lot. And uh, one thing that I learned was parent-teacher conferences, sometimes they don't go that well. So anyway, um, at the end of the year, the, the grade under us was sending up pa a pile, which was like our students for the next year. And I was just a new teacher. I didn't know anything. And so I looked, and they, you know, they told you everything about the kid. And then there was a little circle thing there that said HMP. And it was circled or it was not circled. And so I asked another teacher, what's HMP? And she goes, oh, high-maintenance parent. It's like, oh, thanks for the heads up. Apparently down below in the grades, some parents just, you know, rumbled in the parent-teacher conferences and they just sent a heads up. So I'm just telling you that's out there. And, you know, when I go into teacher conferences now, I don't want to be a high-maintenance parent. So I'm a little careful, you know, when I talk about my kids. Uh, maybe you want to be so also. You know, it's just known when some people are not wise and are not pleasant toward authority. People know that. They feel that. Uh, it happens on the baseball field. My son had his last year in PBO last year, and even though they were the second to the last place team, they ended up winning the championship. It was amazing. They had to go through the, the, the team that had the best pitcher and the best hitter. They had to go through the first place team, the second place team to win it, and they did. But in the last game, there was a miracle that happened. Uh, the pitcher of the other team was on the mound, and we were down two runs going into the last, last inning, right? And this pitcher, like, had our team right where he wanted us. Uh, but then as he was winding up, the batter, you know, stepped out of the box, and the ump called timeout. Well, the coach didn't like that because the pitcher was already in his windup, and that's against the rules, and it threw the pitcher off, right? Uh, so then the next pitch, uh, uh, what happened was he wound up, and the wind blew his hat off. And then he threw the ball and hit the batter, and the batter got the first base. And the coach again was like, you're supposed, if the hat comes off, you're supposed to. And so there was big drama at the ball fields, and the coach didn't like the authoritative judgment on the field from the other team, right? Uh, and so then the next two batters on our team hit home runs, and we won. <laughs> How do you think that went over in the bleachers on the other side? The ump let the batter take a timeout when he was when the pitcher started his windup then the wind knocked the pitcher's hat off and we got a free base out of that they were not happy with the authority figures on the field and these are judgment calls the ump could have gone either way uh it's at the ball field that 
we decide, are we going to be pleasant and are we going to be wise with authority? How are you doing at that? In Ecclesiastes 10, verse 4, looking ahead just a little bit, Solomon kind of gives us a little peek at what um, could be happening here. But 10, verse 4 says, If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay, lay great offenses to rest. So the idea of being in the king's presence, it's not going well, you're not sure how to be wise, or, you know, great calmness will lay great offenses uh, to rest. Hey, are you being wise and pleasant, especially when upset or angry with authority? Jot this down, be upright and submissive. Be upright and submissive. It says in verse 3, do not take your stand in an evil cause. Be upright. Don't do a wrong thing. Don't promote a wrong thing. You know, don't, don't tell the other co-workers, here's what we're going to do. And we're going to slash your tires. <laughs> you know, don't stand in an evil cause. Don't, don't fight for something that's bad because the person really is in charge. They do whatever they please. The word of the king is supreme. And who may say to him, what are you doing? They do have the authority to do what is in their judgment best. Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. The wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. So better things will happen if you, you know, submit to authority. Generally speaking, those who learn how to submit to authority and to be upright and wise and pleasant will have a much, much, much better life. Those who refuse to be wise and pleasant with authority figures, starting with their parents, then going on to the teachers, then they can't find a boss who's nice to them. They're not upright. They're not submissive. That's how you end up on the show Cops. Okay, you just never, ever, ever finally get to the point where you're going to figure out how to function with authority. It can be a lifelong battle for some people. Um, it goes on to say at the proper time in the just way. This can mean that the wise heart will know that there is a proper time in a just way. So, so timing and justice are coming. You don't have to freak out right now. There is a time and a way for everything. It's a common theme that comes up in Ecclesiastes. There's a a time and a way for everything, um, right? So we have to accept this reality, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. Um, so, it's, so we have to just be upright and submissive. Don't rebel, don't revile, don't resist. Do what is right and virtuous, even when you're tempted to maybe repay evil with evil. And accept the reality that you're under their authority. You must allow someone to be above you, even if they're not perfect. And God designed authority to work this way in the government, in the home, in the church, at the workplace. God established authority, and he will hold leaders accountable. Here's a chart of kind of how authority works. It starts in the home. Children are under the authority of their parents, and God wants the man to be the spiritual leader in the home, generally speaking, to follow his lead, for him to set that, uh, those parameters and to rear his children in the training and instruction of the Lord um, with sacrificial, loving leadership in his marriage. Then the church is kind of, a, you know, the next level, and God wants us to have a church family where we can um, say, hey, we're going to be accountable to you, and if there's any problems that need help in the home, we have a bit of an appeal in the church. The government also gets to put, make laws to protect people, uh, and then God. God is over all authority. So that's generally how authoritative structures work, those circles. And when it comes to the advice given in Scripture about being upright and submissive, it, it even applies to the sad reality that in the New Testament there were slaves who were kind of, you know, functioning in a slave-master relationship with people. And in Col Colossians 3.22, here's what it says, "...bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people-pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord." 
you know, even in that relationship, it can be redeemed. It said, look, this is your lot in life. It says if you can get your freedom, get it. But for many, they couldn't. So this was just life. And the Bible even gave them, um, you know, the, the, the command to say, look, obey those who are your earthly masters. And not by way of eye service. I like that phrase. Not just when they're watching. But truly with sincerity of heart because you fear the Lord. That's a great commendation for us as we go to work, you know, tomorrow, the days ahead. Not with eye service, but, you know, from the heart because we're serving Christ and fearing the Lord. In Hebrews 13, 17, it applies these principles to the church. It says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So this could apply to, you know, your small group leader. They're kind of in charge of running it. Your ministry leader, you know, head usher or hospitality or somebody who's kind of in charge of security. Are you being wise? Are you being pleasant? Are you being critical? Are you being demanding? Uh, why are we doing it this way? How are you doing? That includes pastors and elders and deacons. And how's your attitude? You know, are you wise, pleasant, upright, and submissive in the church? How's that going? Generally, we can refuse authority in a few ways. We can be reluctant or resistant. Reluctant is the passive-aggressive way. Well, I'm not going to do exactly what they tell me to do. I'm going to be reluctant to obey. You know, you know the kid who it's like, go to your room and clean up, and they're like this. I'm going, but they're going very reluctantly to drive you bonkers, right? They're very reluctant. It's a passive-aggressive way. Uh, and then there's the resistant. There's the, you know, head-on collision. So whether you struggle with the passive or the active form of resistance, it can be the way you're thinking or feeling or speaking about authority figures. It's a good time for a self-check. How are you doing it? Not defying or disregarding authority, not desiring your own way or refusing to submit or, or, or stopping short of being respectful and, and, and supportive and honoring those who are in authority over you. How are you doing and let me just tell you, if you give yourself an A++++ on this one, I'm going to have lunch with you so you can help me with it. Because we all struggle, right, with this. So honor and obey governing authorities. Be wise and pleasant. Be upright and submissive. Um, moving on, next point. Even though the outcome is out of your control. Even though the outcome is out of your control. This implies surrendering patiently and humbly because you don't know how things are going to turn out, so you don't have to control it. You don't have to control it. This whole book is a commemoration of God's sovereignty, and I like what Phil Riken says. He says, God's sovereignty over time and eternity is a thing of beauty. I'll say that again. God's sovereignty over time and eternity is a thing of beauty. We learned earlier from Ecclesiastes that God ordains life and death. He makes a time for every emotional experience, every activity, every interaction in your life. We therefore must embrace his timing, expect to experience the full range of life's extremes, wait for God's timing, understand the season you're in, and know how to honor him while you prepare for eternity. Ecclesiastes is clear. God has made everything beautiful in its time. So we can rest and rejoice in the reality that everything is part of his grand design. Yes, your job. Yes, your boss. Yes, your parent. Yes, your president is part of God's grand design. And therefore, we can be subject to and be confident in his supreme governance and goodness while we relate wisely to authority. That's number one. If you want to get up and leave, you can. I know this is probably like, ah, this is hard. But number two, we're going on. Fear God who alone has ultimate authority. 
fear God who alone has ultimate authority. So coming out of verse 8, it says, No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There's no discharge from war. The NIV takes this to mean these things are um, inevitabilities. So you don't have power to retain your spirit. That can mean to control the wind or to keep yourself alive. You can't do it. Or power over the day of death. You can't stop it. There's no discharge from war. You're not getting out of it. And then therefore, the wick, uh, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. So the wicked aren't going to get away with it. It's an inevitability that choosing a wicked path will always lead to destruction. As I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. This is a twofold warning. To those who have authority, don't abuse it. To those who are under authority, don't let that be your source of rebellion. It says in verse 10, Then I saw the wicked buried. Funeral. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city when they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God. Because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear before God. So however you get there, getting to a wicked place where you defy God's authority and you take advantage of others is going to be a place that leads you to destruction, even if things are going well with you in life. And to the righteous, therefore, don't be tempted to go down that path. Don't be tempted to go down that path. So fear God, who alone has ultimate authority. Bad leaders, bad parents, foolish supervisors, unethical politicians, hey, that's no excuse for living a sinful life. They're getting away with it, doesn't matter. You be upright. In Deuteronomy 32.4, it's clear. After you make appeal after appeal after appeal in an unfair life when you're being mistreated, guess what? There is a wise and virtuous God at the top. Deuteronomy 32.4, the rock, his work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. God's justice will come to bear upon whatever relationships you have with authority that are not right. And God's justice will come to bear on your response to that. If you look at Ecclesiastes 5, 1 to 2 and verse 7, the Bible is very aware of the problem that people generally take advantage of those who are under them. Um, and when it comes to how we're to respond to that, we are to understand that we are actually under God's authority. It says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they're doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. God is in heaven, you are on earth. So you have to fear him who has ultimate authority. And then in verse 7b, it says, God is the one you must fear. Jot this down, even when the wicked get away with it. Even when the wicked get away with sin. God's on the throne, you're honoring him. God's on the throne, you're honoring him. So now the Bible is talking about bad leaders. Bad people taking advantage of other people. Thieves, oppressors, crooked people. Okay, maybe they're getting away with it. And this is not an endorsement of putting yourself or keeping yourself in a place where you're not safe. If you're in a place where you're not safe or you're being pressured to do criminal things, you can get out of there. Uh, that's not what this sermon is about, though. The sermon is about how to just process wickedness when they're getting away with it. And the answer is we're not to give ourselves over to it. Ecclesiastes 3, 16 to 17, we've already been there, right? 
Ecclesiastes 3, 16 to 17 says this, Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice even there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. So we have to rest and rely on God's judgment. This is a warning to those who have authority. If you're being harsh, if you're being overbearing, if you're being unethical, if you're taking advantage of people who are under you, um, as a parent to your children, as a supervisor to your employees, you know, if you have some um, authority in government to those who you're responsible to, this is a warning. This is a warning that God will judge. And it's also a warning to the wise who are trying to interact with people who are over them. Hey, if you cross the line and your side of the street starts getting full of sin, God's going to judge you too. Jot this down, because in the end you will be greatly rewarded if you maintain your course on the upright path. You will be greatly rewarded in the end. It's clear here, uh, a couple scenarios are playing out. It says, I saw the wicked buried. The wicked are going to die. Same destiny takes us all. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. There's an alternate translation here that describes a bit of a funeral. And the idea would be that there's possibly a contrast here where the wicked are taken into the temple or the synagogue and they're praised after they die and then they're brought out, meaning they're given a good, proper funeral and burial, and everyone's saying great things about them. Um, Then it says, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Um, There's a possible translation within here where the righteous are just kind of left in the street, like the righteous are not given a proper burial, um, but the um, wicked are. And I think that's unlikely, but I just need you to know that in case you read a translation that says that. It does seem like what's happening here is the wicked are, after a life of getting away with it and people kind of praising them, you know, they die. And um, it says this is vanity. This is vanity. Because this, and then another scenario, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. So they're getting away with it and they think therefore it's okay. But uh, the Bible's clear. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times, and prolongs his life. Yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God. It's not going to end well for him. It is going to end well with those who persist in righteousness because they fear before him. It will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow or it could be read his shadowy days because he does not fear before God. Generally speaking, the wicked will uh, get punished. They'll get found out. Life will be hard for them. And generally speaking, that if you choose to sin, you choose to suffer. Um, And so even if their condemnation doesn't come in this life, it's even worse when they get away with it and then they find their condemnation in the next. So be clear, you will be rewarded in the end if you are upright. And especially if you are upright in your relationship to authority. Honoring and obeying governing authorities, being wise and pleasant, upright and submissive, even, even though the outcome is out of your control, you're fearing God who has ultimate authority even if the wicked are getting away with it, because in the end, you're going to be richly rewarded. What a challenge this is. What a challenge this is. There's so many opportunities in life to turn away from the wise path, right? Well, why am I the only one who's being respectful and honorable and honest? Why am I the only one who's actually putting in all the work and not lying. Why am I the only one who's following the policies? It's, it's harder for me. Why am I the only one in my home giving 100%? Why am I the only one? And you're tempted to be unwise. You're tempted to turn to sin. 
or to compromise with other people, believing that somehow life will be better for you. Somehow you're being held back because you are being wise. That's, that's so untrue. God is actually preparing to reward you. God is actually preparing to honor you. He's actually preparing to uphold you. He's actually preparing to go ahead of you. And if you step off of that, you could lose it all. If you step off of that, you could ruin everything God has planned for you in this life and in the next life, rewards that he has waiting for you. You might feel like it's not worth it. You might feel tempted to throw in the towel. You might feel tempted to blow up. I've waited long enough, and now they're going to hear exactly how I feel. Maybe you're at wit's end, and this sermon is God's way of saying, stay on the right path, especially in these tough, tricky, authoritative relationships. Maybe God's holding you back. Sure, there's not a literal king who this week you're going to go into his presence and let him have it. But there's plenty of other relationships where you might be like, all right, Lord, I needed this. Like, I really needed you to tell me when it comes to the authority figures in my life, I'm going to fear God who has ultimate authority. I'm going to be real wise. Even how I look and act, I'm going to be so careful and gracious because I know that God is in control. And here's the end of the matter. Jot this down. I want to talk about how this idea of kingship is not a reality on earth for you, but it is a reality in heaven. Jot this down. Crown Jesus as your heavenly king. The truth is, even though you don't have a king on earth, there is a king in heaven. Only one. So when we learn today from Solomon about what to do when you get into the presence of an earthly king, how much more are we learning, what do I do when I enter the presence of a heavenly king? How am I, like, like this passage actually changed this week how I act and speak and look in my prayer time. I'm like, I'm going into the presence of a king. Wow. How am I going to do that with wisdom and respect and being upright? Like, it really helped me to understand, one, Jesus is many things. He's your shepherd, right? He's the builder of it, but he's your king. He's your king. So how are we doing it, crowning him, and how are we doing with our attitude toward him? And here's the thing. The way we relate to the authority figures in our life reflects the way we relate to Jesus. We can't be at war with our parent and at peace with God. We can't be at war with our teacher and be at peace with God. It's reflecting our submission to our heavenly king, Jesus Christ. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, we'll put it up on the screen, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Wow! Solomon's getting us ready to go into the presence of heaven's king. One day, sooner than you think, you will be standing in the holy presence of a heavenly king. Are you prepared for that? Are you prepared for that? There's no ballot. There's, there's no voting. There's no... He's the king. He's the king. He's the king forever. Are you ready for that? If you are, then your relationship to authority figures in this life will show you're preparing for your relationship to the ultimate authority figure. Crown Jesus as your heavenly king. If you live as his humble, humble servant and you trust him when he ordains unpleasant chapters in your life or unpleasant relationships and you don't turn away, that reflects that he is your king. 
You remember Matthew 2, 2, right? When the wise men came into Jerusalem, they traveled a thousand miles and had one line. Where is the one who has been born king? We saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. Let me ask you this. Is Jesus your king? If so, are you acting like it? Heaven is a monarchy, my friends. Are you ready to live under his rule for all eternity? The craziest part about it is when we get there and we humbly submit ourselves to the king and we kneel and give him all honor and surrender, guess what? He hands us a crown and lets us rule with him. He shares. He shares heaven with us and wants us to rule with him. And you know what heaven records? Everybody in heaven who has a crown, they just throw it right back at his feet. They're like, I don't need that. Hey, is that your spirit? Is Jesus your king forever? Do you want him to reign over you for all time? And does your eternal relationship to the authority of Christ play out with how you interact with imperfect authorities here? I know Jesus is on the throne. I know he's got this. I'm going to stand before him one day, and every word I say right now in, in, this, in this IEP meeting, every word that I say right now, you know, while I'm watching Fox News, every, every word I say right now is going to be brought up in the presence of my king. And I'm going to be so careful so careful because I serve him. Boy, we have a lot of progress to be made in this area, right? I want to give you the chance to commit or recommit yourself to Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords today. And I want you to invite him specifically to transform how you wisely relate to authority figures in your life. Let's close our eyes and let's uh, bow our heads right now. And let's respond to God based on this message, which is challenging to each one of us, right? And first, I want you to ask yourself this. Have you ever surrendered your life entirely to the ultimate authority of Jesus Christ as your king? Have you ever crowned Jesus as the rightful ruler of your life? Hey, listen, you're not giving him anything that is yours. You're giving him back something that is rightfully his. Have you surrendered to the reality that Jesus is the rightful ruler of your life? I'm not asking if you attended a church or took a class. I'm not asking if you are religious. I'm not asking if you have some denominational affinity. I'm saying, is Jesus your ruling king? And is that, in your mind, the way you want things to run for eternity? Or have you still been crawling up on that throne every day and trying to live life your way? Right here and right now, I want to give you a chance to transfer the ownership and the administration of your life to, to resign as the chairman of the board of your life. To get up, to leave that throne, to take off that crown and to say, Jesus, you can say this in your heart, you can say this in your home right now, you can say this out loud. You say, Jesus, you are my king. It's over. I'm not ruling my life anymore. You are authoritatively, supremely in charge of every single moment of my life. Every area of my life, I surrender. I'm taking my place on my knees under your sovereign monarchy. And Jesus, as I come into your presence, humbly, respectfully, reverently, I ask that you, O Lord, would watch over me as only you can. Save me, Jesus, 
from my pride, from my folly, from all of my sin. Save me, Jesus. If you're praying that right now, you need to know that Jesus will be your king. Jesus will be your ruler. And he will bring you into his kingdom. Heaven is his kingdom, not yours. He will bring you into his kingdom for eternity. And for many of us who have walked with Christ for many years, maybe it's time to say, Lord, forgive me. Somehow I'm back on the throne again. Somehow I'm back demanding that I get my way. Somehow in the relationships in my life, I'm showing that I want to be in control. Forgive me. Forgive me, Jesus, for thinking that I could rule things better than you. Forgive me for overreaching with the authority you've given me. Forgive me, Lord, for not trusting that you are doing all things well. You are taking perfect care of me. I give you the throne again. I crown you again. Jesus, I trust you. I love you. And I pray that you would be my king, my protector, my guardian, my provider, that you would be my counselor, and that you would help me to relate rightly to you, Lord, even when I'm upset, even when I don't agree with what you have told me to do, even when I don't agree with what you have allowed to come into my life, oh Lord, you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Jesus, humble my heart in your presence again. Lord, I pray that you would bless our relationships. Help us to be wise and patient and godly and measured and I pray that people would see in us a submission, a wisdom. Pray that they would see in us a pleasantness around authority figures that can only be explained by the power of God in our hearts. Lord, we surrender this area to you. We pray that you would transform us and fill us with your Holy Spirit. And we trust you, Jesus, that you will arrive soon. We will see you on the throne. We will cast our crowns before you. And all will hail the King of Kings for all time. We can't wait. Come Lord Jesus soon in your name. Amen.